Open your Bibles to Philippians, the second chapter, book of the book of Philippians, the second chapter. We continue our journey in the little epistle to the church in Philippi, and we've given it the theme from servants, that is from Paul and Timothy, according to the first verse in the first chapter from Paul and Timothy, two servants, that is the servants, the people of God, the believers, the Christians at the church in Philippi about the servant, that is about Jesus Christ. And we've reached the third chapter and this morning in a moment we'll begin, we'll begin reading with verse one and read 11 verses. And the message is entitled, The Value of Knowing Jesus. What do you treasure? I'll give you a few moments to think about that. What do you treasure? What is really important to you? I've heard it said, if you want to know what's important to a person, get their checkbook and look through it. Well, these days, I guess you'd have to add the the debit card statement (laughs) to that. A lot of people don't use checks anymore. Maybe that's true. Maybe we looked at each other's checkbooks and debit card statements. We would have some sense of what really is important. I I remember as a kid, age of my grandkids, I had a baseball card collection. Any of you ever have one of those? I love those baseball cards. Tops, bubble gum. It was just awesome. And in those days, they also had a, not only my current baseball players, but they, they would sell old timers cards. I don't know if any of you remember those or not. I had, um, I had Ty Cobb. I had Babe Ruth, uh, Honus Wagner, Tris Speaker, Napla Joy. And those last few names, you're probably going, phew. You don't have any idea who they are unless you're really a baseball aficionado. And if you are, you know who those guys were. Great baseball players. And then I had all the guys who played when I was growing up. It was just, I had a big collection. They were in shoeboxes. And I would spend time making lineups. You know, I would imagine in my mind a baseball game between this team and that team. And of course, I always made sure the team won that I wanted to win. But that's what happens when you imagine it in your mind. Then... I left home and I left my baseball cards in a chest of drawers. We had a, our house, uh, had a basement. That's where I lived. I've told you about that before. It used to be my grandpa's pig pen. So not much changed, but, um, <laughs> that basement was my bedroom. And then we had a sub basement where we could store stuff. That's a fascinating place. And so we had, I had a little chest of drawers in that sub-basement where I put my baseball cards. So I went off, uh, you know, Army and uh, went to Dallas, got married. And every once in a while, I'd think about those baseball cards. And in my mind, I said, someday I'm going to get those cards and I'm going to give them to my son. And so... When he was born and we went home for what I recollect as the first time we had gone to 
Georgia after the birth of, of our first child, those baseball cards came to mind. So we hadn't been in the house too long till I went down to the sub-basement. And he was just a baby. He would have known what in the world they were. But I was going to go ahead and get them. So I opened the drawer and there was nothing there. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, I I kept opening drawers and all of a sudden my heart begins to beat fast. I go back to my bedroom and I look all over the place and finally, Mama, where are my baseball cards? (laughs) Oh, I got rid of those old things. (laughs) A lot of other your stuff, too, I got rid of. And I thought, what have you done? That was my treasure. So I was, tried not to act it, but I was kind of upset. That night I laid down to get in bed and I'm just stewing. My little boy's sleeping there and I'm thinking, Mama has deprived him of the joy of my baseball card. <laughs> but you know what came to my mind? And I, I guess this was the Lord speaking to me. If I had really treasured those cards... I would have taken them with me when I left home. But I didn't. I didn't really think about them all that often. So I think the grand conclusion that I had to make was I didn't really care all that much about those baseball cards. And and that would have been the truth. That would have been the honest truth. However, when I hear today how much some of those cards are worth... You know, I think, man, we could have built a new building with the church. With <laughs> Well, what do you treasure? Let's think about the value of knowing Jesus. How much does Jesus mean to you? Do you treasure Jesus? If someone was closely scrutinizing your life, would they see that you value Jesus? And by the way, there may be someone who is doing that. This is a pretty important passage that we're going to read. What does it mean to know Jesus? Certainly it means to have eternal life, yes. To have a satisfied soul, yes. The scripture says in the text I read in the prayer a moment ago in, in John's gospel, Jesus speaking to his father, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So salvation, it's clear, is knowing Jesus. Famous verse that we say whenever someone makes a profession of faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Just plain as it can be. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That's, that's how we start our walk with Jesus. So I want us to stand and read verses 1 through 11. So we think about the value of knowing Jesus. Then there are three things that I'm going to point out in the text. So here we go. Verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There it is. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. So Paul is saying, I've already talked to you about this. But I'm going to talk to you about it again. And it's important. It's a safeguard for you that I do talk to you again. What does he say? Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now here's Paul's testimony. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. The law was Jewish baby boys to be circumcised on the eighth day. And Paul says, my parents didn't do it early. They didn't do it late. They did it on the day they were supposed to do it. On the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, royal tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew or a Jew of Jews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Well, he was a keeper of the law for sure. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul is saying, I was as close to being perfect as a person could be in regard to keeping the law. But whatever we're gaining, here's the but, the big conjunction that changes everything. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that's behind me, that's loss, that's rubbish, he will say in a minute. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Christ, compared to everything else, there's no comparison. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. That's worth reading again. Who in their right mind would say that? The Christian. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. The value of knowing Jesus. I just want to leave you with three things. First of all, the value of knowing Jesus brings rejoicing. The value of knowing Jesus brings rejoicing. Salvation is knowing Jesus. And it is Jesus who said in John's gospel, the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full or as King James version says it that you might that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly and then the fourth verse of the fourth chapter of Philippians says what the first verse says in chapter 3 rejoice in the lord except Paul adds here rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God's people are meant to be people who are always rejoicing in the Lord. 
And that's the truth. Now, remember this. Joy does not equal happiness. Joy does not equal happiness. Happiness does not equal joy. Happiness comes, or the word happiness comes from a Latin word, fortuna. We get our English word fortune from that. And you know by life experience, you've been around the block a time or two, when our fortunes are up, okay, I'm happy. When my fortunes are down, I'm not happy. Happiness is based on circumstances. And those circumstances are experienced by believers and unbelievers alike. Fleeting and fragile. I'll give you an example, mundane as it may be. If you were born in the state of Texas, or you have lived for a long time in the state of Texas, it is quite possible and quite probable that if you care anything about pro football, you are a fan of either the Houston Texans or the Dallas Cowboys, likely one or the other. There are a few heretics in the state. And I I may call one of them out in the second service because he's a member of our staff. (laughs) And he's born in Texas. But I digress. Most of us would say, okay, I'm a fan of one or the other. And so shortly after moving to Dallas, I adopted as my team the Dallas Cowboys. And I've been a Cowboy fan since way back. So when the Cowboys win, I'm happy. When the Cowboys lose, I'm not happy. So for the last 20 years, I have spent much time in unhappiness. (laughs) The thing that makes it so hard is I can still remember the good old days. (laughs) Okay. What I really found out last year was I can live without the NFL. I didn't, I didn't watch a game until the second half of the Super Bowl. And the only reason I turned it on was because Philadelphia had several Christian players and I just wanted to see if they were going to win the thing. But, but the truth of the matter is with that fragile, somewhat worthless illustration, my inner peace and joy is not dependent on the Cowboys or any other athletic team. Joy does not equal happiness. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Authentic joy comes from a personal relationship with Jesus who said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Now, real joy comes from knowing Jesus. It's an abiding joy. Happiness can run away. Uh, Joy endures. Joy is the supernatural reality that we have in God himself. And that's why Paul says rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. So who can have joy? Look at the first verse again. He, He Who is he speaking to? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. That's the church. That's believers. He's talking to Philippi and leap forward 2,000 years. He's talking to us. Brothers. And sisters rejoice in the Lord. Our supernatural birth in Christ, we call that being born again, or the new birth, our supernatural birth in Christ brings supernatural joy. So in verse 1 he says rejoice. It's not being frivolous, lest anyone think that. It does not mean that you do not fear and respect God. 
It does not mean that we rejoice in sin. So it doesn't mean rejoice in everything, but we rejoice in the Lord. It does not mean that we never cry. That's an emotion, a God-given emotion. And Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time to laugh and a time to cry. But no matter what, we can rejoice because we have a joy that transcends circumstances. Now, if you remember back in chapter 2 in verse 14 a few weeks ago, where uh, Paul said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And you remember the word gogusman. So this is yet another way of looking at that. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we get to chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, the word rejoice in this first verse is in the present tense. So what that means is that we rejoice now. And all the time, it's an an habitual rejoicing. It's also in the Greek in an active, active voice, which means that we act on that, that we decisively think about it and that we decide I am going to rejoice in the Lord. It's not an accident. I'm going to take charge of this aspect of my life. And I'm going to rejoice. And I'm not a smiling zombie. I don't just smile, walk around smiling all the time. No, I, I make a conscious decision that I will rejoice in the Lord. Literally, if we were to write this out literally, we'd never do this. But if we did, it would say, I command you to be always making every effort to be rejoicing in the Lord. Well, that's awkward. So... It just simply says rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And it's in the imperative mood, which means it is a command to be obeyed, an act of the will, the responsibility of every believer. It's also in the second person plural. So that means all of us, every one of us and rejoicing honors Jesus. The source of the joy or the rejoicing is Jesus. And so we say rejoice in the Lord and the the true gift that result that's the, the the true gift that results from relationship. That relationship with Jesus results in joy. Let let me give you a couple of verses if you want to jot these down. Psalm 16:11. Here's what the psalmist said to God. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, uh, Paul, Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then you remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no no law. And and remember, I've said this at the gazillion times. And if if years from now you happen to think about your your old former pastor and you, you say, I remember one thing the old guy said. 
And he said, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, we don't pick one or two and say, oh, I've got that one, but not the others. No, we have all of them. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, Paul immediately then says, here's a warning. There is a threat to your joy. And he puts the focus of the threat to your joy on false teaching. He says in verse 2, they're dogs. Please don't look at your family dog and think that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about pets. He's talking about vicious, wild dogs who attack the sheep. That is God's people. Now, in this particular instance, he's talking about Judaizers, those who said before you can become a Christian, you first got to become a Jew. If you're a Gentile, you first got to become a Jew, be circumcised, then you can become a Christian. And and Paul says, no, that's that's crazy. They're, they're beware of the legalists, what he's saying. Beware of the legalists. Circumcision involves cutting away flesh. That happened to us when Jesus took the sin away from our heart, forgave us our sins, and cut away that dead flesh from our hearts. He eliminated physical circumcision as a prerequisite for someone becoming a faithful follower of Christ. Spiritually, He cuts away the dead and gives us life in our hearts, and by that gives us joy. Now, just sum up those verses this way the warnings beware i mean we could dissect that and be here a week but i think if i just sum it up this way this this will do it beware of anyone who teaches salvation by christ plus christ plus this christ plus that no no that is not biblical Or beware of anybody who teaches something in place of Jesus for salvation. Our our faith is in Jesus. By grace through faith in Christ alone we're saved. Our confidence then, Paul says, is not in the flesh, but it's in Christ. So, he says, with all that confidence brimming from our hearts, be a joyful Christian, rejoice. Be joyful. Be a joyful Christian. Let me let me say it. Um, let me say it two ways. Be a joyful Christian. Way number two. Be joyful Christian. Two ways. Two ways to look at it. Enjoy Jesus. Lean on Jesus. Love Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Value Jesus. We have every reason in the world to do that. So as we think about the value of knowing Jesus, we come to the second thing. So I'm almost done. Number one, that was a long one. Numbers two and three are really short. Okay, we're almost done. The value of knowing Jesus, number two, has clear markers. Verses three, four, five, and six has clear markers. The markers are these. Number one, we are we serve by the Spirit of God. Verse three, he says, we serve by the Spirit of God. And we do that because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8 verse 9. 
You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So, in other words, every believer has dwelling within him the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we serve by the spirit. And that's a marker. That's a clear marker of the value of knowing Jesus. The second clear Marker is that we boast in Christ alone. Verse three, we boast in, now in, in English, we've come to look at the word boast as a, it's nothing wrong with a word, but the way we generally use it in society is uh, an arrogant person who boasts about himself or herself all the time. So it's a turn off word. So if that word bothers you, let me, let me, let me substitute a word that could also be right there. We glory in Christ. So instead of saying we boast in Christ, we glory in Christ, not in ourselves. We glory in Christ. Beware, the sidebar, beware of the person who makes much of himself and little of Christ. Okay? Just be careful. Now, The value of knowing Jesus has clear markers. And the third one is we put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 3, the last part of that verse, and all the way through 6. Our confidence is not in ritual. Our confidence is not in ethnicity. Our confidence is not in rank or status or tradition. Our confidence is not in rule-keeping or zeal or passion or in keeping the law. Our confidence is in Christ alone. We see all of this in what is Paul's personal testimony. We've all have a, we all have a personal testimony if we're followers of Christ. Now, yours may not be that you were struck down on the road to Damascus, but you have a personal testimony, and it is yours, and it is valuable to share, and it is amazing because you were dead, and Christ brought you to life. And I don't know how you get around saying that that's not amazing. It is amazing, absolutely amazing. So, Paul had a great birth. He tells us, circumcised the eighth day, you know, great nationality, great lineage, great upbringing, a great standard, great uh, sincerity. He surely did sincerely pursue the Christians to kill them. Uh, sincere morality. And Paul comes to the point after meeting Christ where he says, all for nothing, all, all for nothing. Salvation came for him on the road to Damascus when he met Christ. Read Acts 9. He had an encounter that resulted in a confession. And then after salvation, Christ changed him from the inside out. And his confidence and dependence shifted to Jesus from his own flesh. And that's exactly what happens with us. Exactly what happens with us. So the value of knowing Jesus. Number three, and this is the last, the value of knowing Jesus has a correct pathway. Has a correct pathway. Uh, the past, Paul says, account is garbage, it's loss, it's gone. The present is gain and treasure. Nothing, nothing like walking with Jesus. All that previous life, the things I depended on, rubbish, garbage, loss, trash. Nothing compares to the gain in Christ, to the treasure of walking with Jesus. Nothing. 
You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what? You don't have to just stand up and say, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but in your heart, do you know what I'm talking about? The treasure that is ours of walking with Jesus, there's no comparison. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. And maybe if you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't really have any idea in the world what you're talking about. Then listen to me. I, I just want to be real careful. I want to be sweet here, but I just want to say, if you don't understand at all what I'm talking about, treasure, treasuring Christ and the value of knowing Christ, then, then I think we might need to get together and kind of walk back a little bit and see, do you, are you absolutely certain that you really have come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Paul said, I, I, I trusted Christ. I've been declared right with God. Because you see, the first part of that pathway, the, the big three words, the, the, we've talked about these before, the, the big three theological words that we, justification, sanctification, glorification. That's really the path he's talking about. Justification, I've been, I've trusted Christ, I've been declared right with God, just as if you have not sinned. Justification by faith in Christ. Then in verse 10, he's really describing sanctification, knowing Christ and becoming more like him. My wife teaches second graders in Sunday school. Uh, This may even be in their lesson today because it has been several times lately. But to help second graders understand sanctification, can you but your kids are learning sanctification in Sunday school. Isn't that wonderful? I love this gospel project. I mean, they're learning justification, sanctification. I was probably 18 before I knew what those words meant. I'm, you know, maybe longer than that. And, and day, and she says, I do this little day after day after day after day, becoming more like Jesus. That's it. That's sanctification. Day after day after day after day, becoming more like Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. Knowing and becoming more like Jesus. And then he gets to the last verse. He's talking about glorification. One day in his, in his presence. Eternity with him. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a sweet, delicious thought, isn't it? The value and the treasure of knowing Jesus. So, will you receive Him today as your Savior? If you've not already done that, in a moment I'll stand right down here. Gary will lead us in an invitation hymn. Slip out from your seat, put your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus, I need Him. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's Word and share with you. That all over this room, believers, are you valuing, treasuring Jesus when we see the words, rejoice in the Lord Are we doing that? Do we understand what that means? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, 
rejoice. Father, help us who are believers to practice that every single day, to rejoice in the Lord, that others might see Christ in us, the incomparable joy of knowing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And Father, if there's one, two, three, four or more in this room who've not yet trusted Jesus, I pray they'll come this morning. If there's someone who's saying, I thought I was a Christian, I have no idea what it means to treasure Christ. I want to get, I want to be sure today. I want to know for certain that I belong to Jesus. I pray, Father, that person will come deciding decisively for Jesus today. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.